Hello, and welcome to Reptory Screenings, episode 42. I'm your host, Em, and with me are my regular co-host, Jackson. Hello. And Destiny. Hey, hey. It's been, uh, we, we missed a whole month, you. a whole fucking month. <laughs> this last, the last episode came out February 28th. Oh my god, we really missed a whole, yeah, damn. Wow. Um, yeah, that was because I uh, I got injured, and this podcast is really easy to push. Sorry, everyone who listens to this podcast. It's the one that is least popular. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, but, you know, it happens. That's because I'm on it. Uh, what, that I? that's why I like it? No, that's why it's the least popular. Sorry. Um, I think it's just because... Uh, we pick you're all gamers movies. and nerds you're all gamers and nerds yeah, that's what that's it is fair. that's it everyone <laughs> that's everyone's here is. for anime and video games and not classic cinema but i'm here for movies uh i watched a button i've watched so many fucking movies i don't even know where to begin in what i've watched so i i'll try to think of like which one i really want to talk about jackson what have you watched in the last month uh i've watched a couple movies um, that aren't covered I, I, in, in blockbusters or or weep life. I think I've actually watched one that didn't get covered in other things. Okay, um, technically two, but I watched the famous uh, and deeply beloved uh, 2004 Metallica documentary, "Some Kind of Monster," uh, which is the story of Metallica making the album an anger that everyone hates uh it's amazing it is as good as advertised i should have watched it years ago <laughs> uh, is it one of those where like they it? don't understand the bullshit they are saying 100 percent, absolutely it is one of those it's like thrown around as like you know it's just real life spinal tap and it kind of is but it actually like the it's far more like, everyone in Spinal Tap is ridiculous, right? Like, ludicrous people, they're all yes. buffoonish cartoons. And this has some of that, but it's actually more of, like, a portrait of, like, the what if your boss and best friend... Right, imagine if we made a made podcast for 30 years but hated each other, and one of us was just the worst person ever. That's James Hetfield. <laughs> we it's could, just we could do that. We could make that happen. We could do that. We could become the James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich of a podcast. You know, the listener doesn't know, we've, we've hated each other since 2014. <laughs> <laughs> I, Brad and Ryan. Brad hates Ryan. <laughs> Brad hates Ryan. Ryan hates Brad. Brad. Hates Ryan. But, but, um, like, so... Uh, I assume you don't know the like story of how they made the album no. Anger. Um but uh, midway through the production of this album, James Hetfield just walks out the studio. He just leaves because um, he's burned out and he's very, very controlling and so there's issues in the band, etc. He leaves, uh, but then he comes back a year later and he's like gone to rehab and he's gone to therapy and he's now decided that he's fixed but he like the way he enforces his own like i have fixed myself on everyone else is through like he comes in and he's like i can only work between the hours of 12 to 4 uh because i the the reason i you know went to rehab because being a rock star was destroying my family so i want to go home and everyone's like okay fair enough but then he says that means none of you can listen to anything after i leave at four o'clock and they lose their minds they're like you can't just make us follow your schedule asshole and he's like i'm not an asshole anymore i'm fixed i've got new glasses i'm new james (laughs) i think i think this is a thing i could do (laughs) (laughs) 
This is you not outside of the possibility of space of me being my worst self, I think. It's, it's just, I, I love the portrait of this guy who recognizes, like, some of the problems, but not all of them. And his, like, self-drive to fix himself just makes all of the actual interpersonal issues so much worse. Uh, I'm just and, saying, uh, yeah, I, I so, see myself in that. <laughs> uh, fair enough, you know. Um it's 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 fun. You'd have you'd both have a good time. I'm shocked Destiny hasn't seen it. I'm kind of shocked I haven't seen it either because I love a music documentary. And it was from 2004 when you were a real music nerd and film nerd. So like a music movie about the guys from Metallica just being like the most spoiled brats imaginable. I think it's because I just never was into Metallica. I think that's the only reason I never watched it because you're absolutely right. Hmm. Uh, it's so it's so funny. Um. Uh, also, the other guy in Metallica, Kirk Hammett, is just, like, around. He, he's the most also-there guy. <laughs> he's been doing this for, like, 15, 20 years at this point. I don't know exactly when he joined. He joined after Dave Mustaine. He's been doing it, like, since the 80s. I don't like Metallica. I don't have the, the numbers down. Uh, and he is not actually, like, allowed into the, like, process. It is all James and La- Lars arguing because they're, you know, best friends and have been forever. Uh, then Lars's dad shows up and <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, but yeah, anyway, good movie. I'm assuming a lot of people who have uh, uh, are listening have seen it, and um, yeah. I recommend it to both of you. Uh, all right, uh, Destiny, what have you watched? Uh, I watched the 1997 Wes Craven film Scream Two. Yeah, I also watched that. I'd never seen it before. Scream Two is, uh, I think, I like it more than Scream. It's way better than Scream. It's ridiculous. It's uh, it's such a. I wasn't expecting it to be so silly. Like Scream is one of those movies I have a weird time with because I watched it when it was when it hit like VHS as a kid. I rented it, and I remember everyone telling me is like, "Oh, this is like the best horror movie ever." Uh, and I thought it was dumb. I thought all the meta, the meta stuff didn't work for me. I didn't think it was scary. It's um, not scary. I, yeah, and so, but I was expecting like all oh, like the scariest movie ever, and so I was like, I had like a real like resentment of Scream forever. I didn't watch any of the sequels, and uh, I've gone back to Scream, and Scream's good. It's no Wes Craven's new nightmare, but it's fine. Um, and then uh, we were just browsing movies, and I was like, oh, let's watch Scream Two, and Scream Two as like a movie about like all the characters who ended up surviving scream one have now gone on and their story's famous and everyone knows that. And they're like, I really don't want to talk about being stuck in a meta horror movie. It was really bad actually. Um, trying to get on with it as someone's doing the killings again and like is this a copycat is this like one of us uh has been involved in this and the the reveals and twists of that is uh it's really silly but because it's like a goofy movie i the characters i just find very charming and like even like the shitty ones like gail like i love gail she's so good in that movie Um, she is good and uh yeah, and so I, it's just like high investment, and that's all I really want of a horror movie. If you can get me to invest in the characters before you start killing them off, you have done your job. It's it's, it's surprisingly hard to do for a thing that sounds like it should be the easiest thing in the world. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's It doesn't even rank high on my list of slashers, because I don't think it's scary, and I put a lot of rank on what's scary, mm-hmm. but because of the characters, it definitely elevates it. Yeah, 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 for sure. I think that's the only movie I've watched aside from the Snyder Cut of Justice League, and I know you don't want to talk about that anymore. We, we've talked about that on multiple podcasts. <laughs> you can listen to Blockbusters. It's in the $1 Patreon feed where Austin and Jackson talk about Snyder Cut for an hour. 
Uh, Which, and then I, f- I follow up in some VoIP lives, so, you know. I enjoyed most of it, but just to put my little spin on it, like, I just don't like superhero movies anymore. That's where yeah. I am. Uh, me and Jackson have reinvested in caring about blockbuster cinema at the worst possible time. To- maybe, you know, actually, maybe the best possible time to do that. That's true. Reinvested as in... There have been two that have been not awful. Yeah, well, like that that's sometimes all it takes. I don't know. That's all it takes, yeah. No. <laughs> what do you uh, want from me? Oh, I want the big the big lizard and the big monkey to fight. This is what I want. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. Gosh, what should I talk about that I haven't talked about anywhere else? Um I kinda of did talk about everything everywhere is the problem. Um God, what was that movie that uh, Cronenberg movie we watched, Destiny? That's the one thing I don't think oh, I've talked about anywhere. I don't think I've talked about that either. We watched um, Rabid. Yes, Rabid, which is the 1970 David Cronenberg film uh, about uh, a lady who gets an experimental skin graft after a motorcycle accident. And it, they, it's basically like a stem cells horror movie, but before stem cells. Um, and the, the graft like changes her and makes her, she grows like a weird proboscis out of her armpit that thirsts for blood that stabs people. But when she stabs people with it, they don't remember anything. And then they get rabies, like a super rabies that turns them basically into zombies. And, it's a pandemic uh, she, movie at that point. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. And so that's happening as she's like trying to like grapple with, oh, I'm a monster who thirsts for blood, but I just want to live. Meanwhile, like the CDC or the Canadian CDC has rolled in trying to fix things. And uh, there's literally like lines where like to get into city, like town centers, you have to like, if you're not vaccinated, they're going to vaccinate you right there. And um, at some point, like the army is rolling around in garbage trucks. And if they see rabid people, they just shoot them and drop them in the garbage trucks uh, to dispose of the bodies. It is it is a movie of our times. <laughs> Um, it's really good it's one of those like the 70s looks like the end of the world in like a really like attractive way kind of films um Mm -hmm. i really liked it i thought it was great uh yeah i uh also super enjoyed it just seeing how this like fictional canadian pandemic gets handled so much better than anything we could ever (laughs) see in real life it's it's the dystopia of like people rolling around shooting infected and dropping into a garbage truck still better than what we have (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, that's it. I've, you know, if you want to hear me talk about a bunch of other movies, they're on other podcasts, I guess. I don't want to rehash them. I watched Ford versus Ferrari. I didn't talk about that much. And that's a pretty good movie. Sometimes you just want to watch a dad film and uh, enjoy it. Um, and I like that in the world where Leonardo DiCaprio has just gone off to like Tarantino land, uh, Matt Damon stepped up to just be the the character actor that Leonardo DiCaprio was going to be in like the exact same type of role. Um, he's just like a slightly lower class version of, uh, DiCaprio and the aviator in that movie. And it's great. <laughs> um, I do, I do recommend it. Um, destiny got HBO max and that's a good place to just watch some fucking movies. Yeah. I uh, like surprising. movies. Yeah. I was very surprised. Their selection is very good yeah. and they add new stuff every month, just like the other streaming services. And it's usually like stuff you'd actually want to sit down and watch. Yeah, so yeah, and it's, all, it's all relatively good quality, and yeah, it's, uh, like, I think of my tiers are, like, I think Criterion is the one that I would keep above all others, just because of the interesting stuff they have, and I want to support them, um, and then Shudder, because Shudder's good, and has stuff that's, like, hard to find otherwise, because uh, uh, old horror movies are hard to get a hold of the old-fashioned way, um, mm-hmm. and then probably HBO Max, and then everything else can go screw, like, I keep Netflix down to watch Star Trek, <laughs> <laughs> 
It's true. Yes. It's literally yeah. true. That is um, the Star Trek machine. Yeah. Anyway, uh, with that, we should probably get into our movie club. Let's uh, do it. The movie this week is M, the 1931 movie directed by Fritz Lang, uh, written by Fritz Lang and Thea von Harbo. It stars Peter Lorre. It came out in May 11th of 1931 in Germany. This is a very early sound film. Uh, obviously, it's in black and white. I don't need to tell you that. You know this. Um, and is one of those like classics I just never bothered to watch because even though I like German expressionism, I'm like, ah, oh, I bet that one's boring. Uh, and I was a dumbass. Jackson, what is the plot of M? <laughs> uh, the plot of M is uh, there is a serial killer uh, who is going around and uh, killing a bunch of children, um, specifically kidnapping and murdering young girls. And uh, this has led to uh, a... Uh, like police crackdown trying to find him which extends to like a moral panic of everyone being terrified for their children uh, everyone being mad at the cops who are whose presence is like increased yet this murderer still remains mysteriously uncaught uh this leads to anxiety uh, from like the uh criminal underworld and, like the different gangs who now have to deal with like the police being everywhere for no reason, uh, raiding them all the time, looking for this guy. Uh, and so they start their own investigation uh, to find him. And then the second half of the movie is everyone closing in on this guy, uh, who's played by Peter Laurie. And uh, the the criminals get to him first. Uh, they take him to, like, you know, they make their own kangaroo court and uh, uh, declare him uh extremely guilty he should be killed because he is uh killing all these young girls and uh there is no other answer than to murder him he must be removed from society uh and before they can go through the theatrical cops arrives and he is taken to a real court but instead of seeing that trial we are just uh like uh people you know the mothers are sitting there outside and say that well however this trial goes uh no sentence will bring the dead children back uh, we must do what we can for the children that are living uh, rather than revenge on the ones who have on the joker from this movie <laughs> the last scene's weird it's a weird final moral for what this movie's actually about but it does end with the moral to cinema of like now we we must all together protect the children um but that's the plot of m it's it's a very simple movie it's mostly like the procedural uh elements of uh chasing this guy and uh uh the way the like reaction to the crime and the police um presence spreads through the population it's like an early example of a procedural movie uh deeply influential to the point where you're watching like oh every one of these movies is just this um so yeah yep yeah, uh, it really is. I was watching this. The The weird thing, the movie that I most was like, this is just this movie, is uh, the Nolan Batman movies. <laughs> yes. Oh, really? Just the, like, weird sprawling, like, the, like, way in which it uses the idea of police and, like, someone beyond the law as, like, an escalation of drawing everyone in. Like, ev like all of the citizenry just deciding, like, we need to do something about this killer is just all of the the gangsters, like, what do we do about the Joker? <laughs> what do we do about that's the Batman? We really... hire the Joker to kill him. Huh. That's <laughs> yeah, a good... It is literally I didn't this. catch that. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. 
I would be shocked um, if there's not a scene. I, you know, I don't think I remember this, but there totally could be a scene of like uh, Commissioner Gordon doing the thing with the compasses, <laughs> drawing the concentric circles. <laughs> I think it's definitely not in those movies, but I know I've it's always, not. I've I remember. Always, I always likened. I always likened Nolan's Batman specifically, but generally his work to like trying to be Hitchcock. But mm-hmm. uh, I just realized I had not seen Fritz Lang and trying to be Fritz Lang also. Well. Yeah, Oh, go on. He doesn't have any of the expressionism. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, uh, I was I was surprised because I I just like the like. If you listen to any of our other podcasts, you know I just like some cop fiction. Um, and this one is like really good because it it detangles the things I like about cop fiction from the idea of police. Uh, because I just like when a bunch of characters like make plans and go out and like organize something. Like we have to do this one thing. It's going to be very hard. How do we do that? And the answer is we do a lot of detective work, but that means like people on the streets, like observing like guys who might be interacting with kids and like, there's like the mob scenes, like the police are inciting mob scenes by trying to round people up. And like the criminals are just like, they nail that guy. Like it takes them like, I mean, it's like, it takes months, but like we see one scene of them looking and they find him. Uh, in a way yes. that, like, the police could not. The police get a whole montage of fucking this up. Um, mm-hmm. And that stuff is uh, good and really interesting to me. Um, because it, it emphasizes the part where, like, police are the worst framework for doing the job that police are, like, tasked to do. <laughs> of a bunch of people who are not of the, like, citizenry that they are looking over uh, in class and location and did you know, disposition, uh, lording their ability to administer the law to them in like a quasi religious state. Like the way they arrest, uh, Peter Laurie's character at the end is literally like a priest coming down and like tapping him on the shoulder for like communion or something, right? Like there yes. is like this transcendent quality to being arrested that is not the case when the mob drags him down and like you have to answer for your crimes. Um, the problem is the movie thinks that it's just good that the police stop them from like executing this guy. And and I don't think I agree. I <laughs> and don't. I, think spe- I specifically think that, like, the movie f- creates a situation in which, like, p- uh, Fritz Lang is like, I wanted a movie that's about how, like, th- the community needs to look after their children better. But the movie presents the mothers as, like, they're working because everyone needs a job because everyone's fucking poor. There's no community infrastructure for watching over your kids because everyone is like either working or a criminal because they don't have any fucking money and the police are hounding them at every turn about that and will stop them and demand their papers um, because that's what police do. Yes. Um, that, that there's, no, scene... there's, no, there's, there's no uplift or possibility for self-determination in a world where police exist. No. And so the first half of the movie is um i think it's my preferred half of the film and it's really interesting because the you know peter laurie's barely in it um and the movie isn't really about like the actual murderer um to the point where i think the strengths of the first half are undercut by the second half being about the fact that the murderer exists and not only does he exist but he like there you know he his evil is uh like essentialized into his being in the way that we're also going to like medicalize in, in ways that are you know fraught um and but the movie's like about that stuff uh but by having like that be the truth at the center of it right it definitely undercuts what the the first half of the movie is doing or undercuts it. there's a tension there uh because the first half of the movie is all about how regardless of whether this is happening the effects on the community from the changes in policing from the attitudes 
of the uh the people around them from the change in the way day-to-day life happens uh are so much vaster than the effect of one crime yeah it reminded me a lot of like you know discussions around modern true crime fiction um fiction true crime media is the better word of like the fixation on the serial killer as the uh the cultural the poisonous cultural evil when it is the structures that are actually affecting how everyone's lives work that are making them all uh feel awful um and really uh, ruining all their lives yeah i agree with that for sure um, it's just, it's just an interesting friction in a movie like this that like, you mm-hmm. know, we, we all read the Wikipedia about like, he had to like justify this movie not being explicitly about like, you know, anti-Nazi or whatever. Um, and clearly like, this is a movie that is about like an, an encroaching authoritarianism from above, but also is not, is like, speci- like the way in which it's like, oh, the, the police are raiding the club and asking for your papers is bad. But the part where the police come in to make sure, like, to enforce the rule of order at the end of the day is a good thing. And is like, because the, the mob cannot dispense true justice. There's no such thing as true justice through a, like, capitulate. Like, you know, if they, if they actually killed him, it wouldn't do anything. And that's true. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't still leave space for, like, the grief of a community that literally had, like, kids, like, taken from them you know like when when he when Pierre Lurie comes to that basement and they like the entire community saying they're grim-faced that's the shot that's the thing that matters yeah yes. those women yelling at him like you've never lost a child have you talk to the mothers what i'm saying is sympathy for lady vengeance is one of the best movies ever made i was thinking true. about sympathy for lady vengeance when that whole kangaroo court scene was going on i was like yeah. huh okay yep uh that that is a film not about not being a coward about this specific thing (laughs) um yeah it's just some fucking murder yeah so so, and like i'm as someone who is like you know a a police and prison abolitionist and like against like the idea of a death penalty like i understand the arguments being made in the court about like you know it doesn't it's not going to solve anything to kill him we don't kill people for uh being ill and you know, if he does have a mental problem, there should be like a community, like a framework by which to address that. But also people here are like, don't have jobs and food. <laughs> so like, like, I mean, what the, the, the scene in the end to me is, and I honestly, both of them, even the stuff um with, when the, when the police come is like a, uh, like a, what am I, demonstration, I guess, of how criminality doesn't exist, right? Like, the entire concept is constructed by people in order to create the world they want to see. Like, that is the arguments being made in those scenes, is that the being inherently criminal is something that isn't real, because moral moral value is made up by societies, right? Like, so mm-hmm. it is the people that invent the crime to uh like and decide how it is punished and that's what the kangaroo court scene comes off to me and then like it, it and then so you get to the scene at the end where, where they he goes to the real law and it's not really that different like everyone's just feeling like it's just it's, it's, the movie portrays it as i guess better that the like it, it still does the thing right the people the mob didn't come to their base in nature and just execute a man on nothing um or not on nothing but you know didn't just like they, they still must submit to the rule of proper law uh mm-hmm. but the movie still allows the space for the idea of like 
real law, whatever that is, is completely disconnected from like the actual society, like community, because it's being created by uh, you know politicians and police who live in a different world. Yeah, it's like it's like five guys in priest robes come in. Yes. And- <laughs> Uh, and it's so different than like there's like a hundred people in a basement who are going to talk about this thing, and that's the thing mm-hmm. that I think is like really interesting and good. Oh yeah, and that speech he gives about the compulsion is like it's like a famous speech. Like that's actors use that for their monologues, and so I think that's really interesting. Still, oh, I, you can't do that today. I don't know if people do that today, but it it was it's a famous one. Like I knew that speech before I knew the movie. Uh, it's interesting because uh, Peter Lorre is like a character that like like his aura like extends beyond the reality of the man to me. Like when I think of Peter Lorre, I think of like the way he's portrayed in Looney Tunes cartoons, which has me too. A little bearing on the character that exists here. Um, and he's just like he's just like a guy. He's just like a normal guy, <laughs> and it's very weird to see in this movie. I find him very menacing in this. That leitmotif of the whistling and oh yeah, uh, for sure, is super good. But yeah, but that, no, I also- the way. The way the way I like about that is like that stuff is put up against the part where he is just like going about his business. Like he is he's no more menacing other than that stuff than like anyone else we see in the movie. Right. Um and in fact has like an innocuousness that will be taken forward in movies like Psycho or like, you know, the whole thing is that Norman Bates is like the most like, you know, unassuming guy, and then he's the you know, he's the he's the psycho. And they you explain you what that means him. for 20 minutes at the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the part where it's just, uh, you know, the, the 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 bank robbing gang decided like a plan to like break into this building where they think this guy is in order to like flush him out and then spend an entire night like methodically doing that. Sick as hell. I love really that. Good. I love it so much. The bit where the the thing that I was like, ah, oh, you know, what a ludicrous thing from John Wick is actually done in like a very serious movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, where they're like, we're, we're going to use the homeless network <laughs> um, and they're all going to uh, f- be able to move invisibly from society and follow, follow through. And I'm like, wait, John Wick just stole this from this? This is from yeah. like, no, I mean, not surprised John Wick stole it from something. More surprised that it's from like a very like, you know, this is not a comedy when it does this, whereas John Wick's doing it because it's funny. Yeah, yeah, no, it's totally like, yeah, it's just John Wick. It's very cool. Um, I, I really like the scene midway through where it's cutting between the two, like, boardroom meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, between the, like, the, the cops are having one. Uh, and uh, the crime lords are also having one, and uh, it was it just a good demonstration of like the way the two structures work, and how you know, they're if you think about it, they're both they're both structures in their own way. The Wire, two thousand and one, like what you know, <laughs> yeah. The this movie is just a blueprint for every everything later. Like it's yes. amazing. Like all of this kind of crime fiction comes from here. I was, what do you think about the like th- threads about um, the like what would have been forensic uh, cutting edge stuff at the time? And when they talk about like handwriting analysis and like 
analyzing his psyche and i'm like oh this is the stuff that is still in this kind of fiction where they're like we analyzed his handwriting and we know this guy he's a real fucking joker he's the like joker extreme and you got to be careful out there and there's basically a guy that gives that speech 20 minutes into the movie Um, it's interesting because like for me as someone who grew up with like i grew up with like tom harris uh hannibal lecter books and those books because they're written with like such a broad amount of time between them are like low-key about the part where like when Red Dragon's written, like forensic science is like a, a like new invention, like a cutting edge field or whatever. And by the time Hannibal's written, it's old hat. Like it's like a thing that's been put into every TV show, and it's not the thing that anyone cares about anymore because it's pedestrian. Um, and so seeing things like handwriting analysis, which is like a bunk science, put up yes. right against like fingerprint analysis, which is not, is like. F- interesting in the way that like i find this sort of procedural uh like formalities interesting i think that stuff is very good <laughs> i was curious how much i was bringing to it from like knowing that handwriting analysis is just complete bullshits um because it definitely comes up especially with the way that like all the cops efforts fail right if that like they rely on these ideas of, of like expert expert yeah expertise Ex- yes yeah 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 and the we're, community solution we're the, we're the, to, yeah the answer is to just watch the streets right <laughs> to have a lot of people doing the hard work of watching the streets and to have the infrastructure required to like talk to those people directly mm-hmm. well the cop's idea is just just wait at his house so we from to show up we don't go after him directly we're just gonna wait at his house until he comes home Yes. The the bit where they Goofy. like they do they do the forensic analysis on the letter and they're like, okay, so we're looking for someone who has a rough wooden table and a That's red everyone. pencil. Yeah, like so that could funny. be anyone. Yeah. Uh and and they they do like they're like, well that doesn't really narrow it down, does it? <laughs> the pump is probably in Enaba. <laughs> this is basically what this is. Yeah. Um yeah, it's just it's just uh it's just goofy. Um and that like that's the thing of all profiling, right? Is like it's it's absurd in its reductiveness because it's it's only used as a tool because statistics kind of bear it out, right? Like mm-hmm. we use the stuff until we realize that it's not true, the numbers don't show it, and then we throw it away. It's not like it's not like these are facts about things, right? Like they're all just tendencies and assumptions that I, like either they shake out in the, the way that like statistics do or they don't. Um and that's how that's how the science part works. But it does mean you get a guy whose job is to analyze a handwriting and tell you that this guy doesn't connect his vowels and though he's a real sicko. <laughs> he's a super sicko. <laughs> Which is like just this side of phrenology, right? Like fake science. Uh, but there's no way to tell in the moment what is a fake science and what is a real science, right? Like mm-hmm. what there's the, what is the technology today that will be rendered like totally disproven in 30, 40 years? We have no idea. Blood splatter uh, is in contention. Yes, blood splatter is apparently fake as hell. <laughs> Which Damn, really? I, I didn't know that I'm one. I'm having a hard time believing that. I'm really struggling with that one. It's because you listen to a million true crime podcasts. Well, see, I know, the, and it's proven so is, many the, killers. The thing is, uh, you know, if you put the drop of water in the same place, uh, you know, alignments the hair, <laughs> imperfections of the skin, <laughs> the bead is not going to roll the same way twice. <laughs> Thank you. God damn it! I don't um, know what you're. I mean the. In- uh, yes, Jurassic Park, where he does the chaos theory t- explanation. Oh of the drop of water. my god! Okay, okay, okay. I'm with you now. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And uh, yeah, like, you know, science, is, physics is complicated. The idea that you could track like hundreds of things, like high velocity blood spray from the way it like lands on stuff and like use the math to put back like a, a concrete order of events. Um, there's no way to reconstruct events like memory is fake. Uh, and like the science of this sort of reconstruction is also like only as good as you want to believe in it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's just wild to me. That's when I put a lot of stock in. So when they were like, this isn't real, I was like, really? Oh, goodness. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, God. Uh, do we have anything else? I just want to point out, because we didn't really talk about it, this is one of the earliest sound films, and the sound design in this is just chef's kiss. It's really interesting, because, like, there isn't, there isn't, like, soundtrack, really. There's only the, like, music that's, like, whistled by uh, Pierre Laurie's character and, like, incidental stuff, and oftentimes there's just no sound at all. Like, it, it almost feels like a... Like, I was like, is this a film that was meant to be, like, live-scored except for these parts? And as far as I can tell, that's not the case. Um, like, classic film, like, silent films were. Um, but it does use, like, bursts of, like, incidental sound to, like merry cuts that would otherwise have to be like establishing shots that it allows a longer shooting style because you can use sound to bridge things that you normally have to use a visual language for it feels really advanced in terms of like how you yes. marry image and sound to like construct narratives that's mm-hmm. in the very sparse in the very very first sequence that i didn't notice at the time because it just felt like you know a normal shot you would do in anything but think about it in the context of 1931 it's like a mind-blowing shot uh, or at least combination shot and sound i guess in the you know she's in the she's in the um in the room waiting for uh, her daughter to come home we we the audience know the daughter's not going to come home because she's going to be the victim um and so she's not coming home but then you hear kids like running up the stairs so she just so she like relaxes the little turn of the door open it and the kids run past her door and go uh, all the way up the stairs and that's just like you know the most standard thing but i guess in 31 the idea that you wouldn't have to cut to outside to like show like a shot yes. of people's feet running up the stairs that's like yeah. completely changes cinema yeah yeah that opening shot's really or not the opening shot but that whole sequence is really yes. good of her waiting um, it does also give it this weird, I don't know if this is intentional, like, it's just the confluence of watching an old movie, but, like, the big, like, crowd shots when there isn't sound have, like, the air of, like, news footage where it's, like, slightly undercranked just because the way it's shot and there's no actual sound under it. And it just it gives it, like, like this documentary air of, like, real footage of the time. Um, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, he did shoot a lot of this just silent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's well. A lot of this stuff, I assume most of the stuff is overdubbed, uh, like the big incidental stuff, because sound, like miking that stuff, was just not a technology that existed at the time. Yeah, I think you're right. There is apparently like an English language dub version where Peter Lorre does his own character, but everyone else is recast. That sounds wild. <laughs> I would love to track that down because I'm very yes. curious about that because they just filmed them all simultaneously because there's a French version too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but oh. Yeah, I, I really liked watching it. Um, the movie's good. T- turns out classic movie for a reason. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, some some yeah some weird frictions in it, but um, I I just need to watch more German expression stuff. I know this is like slightly after that being like a real thing, but it definitely like you know 
is uh like lang was an expressionist director when it started even that started like went away as a default like you know there's a big difference between where this is and uh like where caligari was mm-hmm. um yes but oh this whole there style. Is, there's literally a scene where peter laurie does the joker thing where he's like pulling his lips down yes <laughs> in the mirror? i love that uh, shot though i thought about that because um you should watch the man who laughs which is the literal inspiration for the character of the joker which is a great uh silent expressionist film Okay, yeah, no, because I, I I watched um, uh, Caligari recently, like last couple months, and I was like, damn, this is great. And you know, Night of the Hunter was great, which is just like ripping this off exactly. So, just need to watch more of this stuff. Yep. Uh, is that it? It's for me. Destiny. I think I'm also done. All right. Uh, emails. Uh, we we've been having some problems with our email. Uh, it's a hovering Google problem. We can't fix it. So for now, and maybe going forward, we're just going to use the actual Gmail that the other email pointed to. So if you would like to send us emails, please update your uh, address books. Uh, send them to abnormalmappingpodcast at gmail.com. Um, and, uh, you know, they can be about any movie. They don't just have to be about the movie you're covering. In fact, the first question here is uh, one that is just general. It is from Gary. Uh, that is um, that is that's podcast, not podcasts. This is the this is the difficulty that a lot of people yes, have. Yes, abnormal mapping podcast at gmail.com. Yes. Just wanted to clarify that. Okay, cool. Carry on. Sorry. Uh yeah, we have Gary. Uh recently started digging into repertory screenings. Uh it's great to fill some gas on movie watching. I had some film classes in college, but I was never a film person. So there's a lot of older movies are just non-mainstream stuff that I've never seen and some has never even heard of. For someone like me, what's one movie each of you might recommend that I might not otherwise watch? Besides movies covered on repertory screenings, obviously it's never through the back catalog. Everyone. Give me your movie. So you said to think about this, but you said before I started recording a podcast, so I haven't really had a brain power to think about movies. Um, Destiny, go you go first. Okay. Um, if you haven't seen... Ugh, I'm having a hard time, but maybe Singing in the Rain or Vertigo... Um, I was trying to think of a black and white film, but didn't get to one. But maybe even something, this isn't super duper old, but I guess it's getting older by the minute. But The Last Picture Show, uh, just something like that. The Last Picture Show is an old movie. It is, but I have a hard time like thinking of 70s movies as old movies. Which is dumb. I know that doesn't make sense, but that's just how my brain works. Mm-hmm. Um Plus, it's so inspired by so many other movies that, like, it seems like a weird one to pick. But Last Picture Show, um, I know I have more in me. Imitation of Life, either version, uh, The Children's Hour. Oh, okay. I'm picking lots. Sorry. Go on. You, you go. Um, I was going to say, uh, before Destiny said Singing in the Rain, you should watch Summer Stock, which is a much better film than Singing in the Rain, if you ask me. But, uh, I've never a seen similar it. Era. Um, it, you know, I, it's just me. Singing in the Rain is the one everyone cites, and, you know, Gene Kelly made a lot of those, and they're all good, uh, is the thing. Um, but I happen to like Summer Stock a lot. Um, gosh, I was just gonna go back to, like, old, old movies. Uh, like I said, I think The Man Who Laughs is really, really good. Um, if you haven't seen the original King Kong, it's on HBO Max right now. Uh, Jackson just watched it. It's fucking good. That's a good movie. Um, yeah. 
I like that one a lot. Uh, if I was going to go for like an obscure film, um, I would go, I would say uh, Jim Jarmusch's movie, The Limits of Control is one I really, really like. I highly recommend it. Um, yeah, those are my picks. Good picks. Good picks. Um, I guess I'll choose um, the 1961 movie Chronicle of a Summer, which is a French documentary. Uh, and it's just about, you know, interviewing people in France about their lives. Um, and it is like put forth as like an experiment in cinematic honesty and cinema verite stuff. It's like one of the first of those movies. Um, and can we like truly get to the truth of these people with the, with the camera, but it ends up, uh, at least to me, you know, unsurprisingly uh being an examination of like the structures of french society at the time and uh the way in which literally every single problem in everyone's lives is just like capitalism as always uh and uh, i think it's really good at that because um you know people love those french movies from the 60s and um this is one of uh one of the ones i really liked yeah all right there's always more movies. You get a different answer if you ask us next time, probably. Right. So, uh, all right. Um, we have some questions in the channel. Let me see if we have covered any of these. Uh, what's your favorite shot in the movie? Oh, the I movie with a bunch of good shots. I like at the beginning when the mom looks down the stairs and you see the different layers of stairs going up to her apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I think mine's. I'll, oh, oh, go ahead. Oh, you can go. I, I, didn't want to be, I, I was going to say, uh, mine's probably that like shot when he comes down the stairs and sees everyone in the basement, just like, you know, stoically watching him. It's good. Mm-hmm. I think um, this is a bit of a weird one. My, one of my favorite ones is um, he when he's uh, he's trapped in that one room. He's like in the warehouse and they're, they're closing in on him. And they're like slowly picking through the lock and coming through the door, and then he like tiptoes away so they can't hear him. Then has to go back and like flick the light off and tiptoes away again. <laughs> and it's just like a really funny, good shot that like shows how just utterly unglamorous and pathetic like trying to evade this kind of capture is. Uh, there's nothing. Um, I, the chase is tense, right? But there's nothing like thrilling, I would say, about the way the chase goes down. Uh, he, you know, his power and his violence is the stuff he does because he like tricks children into it. He is not a smart man. He is not a like a you know master criminal of any kind. He's an idiot trying to walk away in a room. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So yeah, uh... that's my pick. And then we've got uh email from Alex. Uh, brings up the pseudoscience uh, about fighting. The thing is, um, catching criminals is hard, but also the police don't really do a good job of it and never have. Uh, historically no, that's or uh, contemporarily. Yeah, that's one thing that I've learned from all my true crime media uh, imbibement is they're just really bad at it. And um, I love that this guy, Becker, was caught like Richard Ramirez, where the people just chased him down. Uh, yep. 
Um, if your if if your local criminal element uh, had a trial, would you go? Yes. I probably wouldn't. <laughs> I want to see that shit. <laughs> but what do they, what do they mean by like local criminal element? <laughs> like how I we don't. don't... Know. Yes, that's the question. The question is, is this community organizing or is this like we're going to go and like watch a, like a mob? And I, I don't know. It's... The thing is, defining that is hard, even like in time, like in the event. Uh, right. But I think I the s- movie gestures towards more of this, this. The second one of like the scene where they get like raided by the bar. Right. They are all made criminals by the way the police approach them. So the criminal structures are definitely more of a community structure than the uh, the police are. Um, I'd still stay at home because I stay at home, but uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I just think that the organized criminal thing is really interesting, and I would love to just watch all that in the works. Um, if you were going sicko mode, what classical music piece would you whistle? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to say, much like Peter Lorre, I cannot whistle, and uh, it is Fritz Lang whistling the song in this movie, which is funny. That's pretty funny. Um, so I probably would not. I would probably hum something, uh, Shala Hedshala, classical music. <laughs> Beethoven um, has always had that, like, undercurrent of darkness, so something Beethoven. Uh, I would, uh, just steal one from another movie. Um, not, not a whistle, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, one of the best, my, my favorite scenes, and, uh, start whistling the Anske marching. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. What? Nothing. Die Hard Three is good. You're just uh, ridiculous. That's all. I can go down Riot mode sometimes. Uh, why <laughs> doesn't anyone in Gotham just double tap the Joker? <laughs> if this city was prepared to do it, why isn't anyone in Gotham? Yeah, well, uh, Berlin's got something. Don't do it for free. Uh, I mean, the answer is that. Uh, you know, Joker represents in some ways like a, an outlet for the response to the chaos of Gotham City, right? That's the big brain answer. Yeah, but I could still shoot him in the head, though. <laughs> yeah. I'm How, sure someone's tried, Dr- right? Has Deathstroke ever done it? I assume if anyone's done it, Deathstroke would. That, why would he do it? He doesn't even live there. You gotta pay him. Does he not? But someone no. would. Guy, I'm just trying to think. Guy who could shoot guys in head in the DC universe. That's him. Give him a reason to pay the him. I don't Batman, know. the fucking Batman. <laughs> he would, and he doesn't do. He doesn't like guns. So, Batman just walked. I'm gonna write a Batman comic where he just walks up to the Joker and double taps him. It's called, it's hesitate called or Nightmare. He will fucking kill him. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. I. I. You know. It's just not that story. If you want gritty realism, please don't get it from a comic book. I've been saying this for 25 years. <laughs> uh, and that's it. Again, uh, abnormalmappingpodcast at gmail.com. I'm going to have to change my whole cadence and everything. It fucking sucks. Next time, hopefully it's in two weeks, but who can say with the world the way it is? Uh, we are going to be watching uh, Alphaville, the Godard movie. I don't think it's streaming anywhere, but, you know, it's available in the ways that people get movies. You know what to do. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm excited to revisit that. I've, I liked it, uh, but I haven't seen it in probably, gosh, 13 years or so. So, uh, that'll be the next movie. Uh, plugs destiny. I am at fridge buzz now on most social media outlets. And, uh, 
my other podcast, Badland Girls, can be found at abnormalmapping.com slash badlandgirls. We just Jackson. released a Mystery Science oh. Theater episode. Yeah. Jackson. You can find me at headfallsoff on twitter.com. You can find the podcast that me and them do at abnormalmapping.com. Go listen to them. Uh, they're good. Uh, yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at em underscore being. You can support all of the podcasts. We do at patreon.com slash mapping. Uh, for $1, you get Gundam, which we cover every week. And, uh, we're watching, we finished Standalone Complex. We're about to watch the movie, uh, of Standalone Complex, the movie sequel, whatever, Solid State Society. Um, that's next week. So that, that's a film. If you spend $5, though, every month, you're going to get me and Jackson doing Blockbusters, which are a new podcast where we talk about popular cinema, stuff that would not appear on this podcast and just talk about like what, like we're going to, it's like much more casual where we watch together and then we just kind of bullshit for an hour about it and, uh, talk about things we like and the, the secret conservative ideology of all Hollywood cinema and uh, stuff like that. Um, we uh, The first episode was about Jurassic Park. Uh, the second episode was, because uh, I was out of commission, was Austin talking about Snyder Cut with Jackson. That was good. Um, and uh, $10 is VoIP Life, of course. Um, oh, this month we're doing um, what's uh, Stand By Me. That's Stand our next uh, yeah blockbusters, which I've never seen. Uh, so I cannot believe I've never seen it. Um. And then, uh, yeah, for $10 is VoIP Life, where, you know, every two weeks me and Jackson just kind of bullshit about random stuff. If you want to talk about, if you want to listen to us talk about, uh, Star Trek, uh, bridge design and, uh, Kong versus, <laughs> or Godzilla versus Kong, the most recent VoIP Life, which will be up on Friday, is your place to go. So there's a lot of that, a lot of gamer talk. If you want to talk about console wars in 2021 and how weird it is to see it still happen when there's no video games and everything's dying rip yeah um anyway that's it movies now more than ever don't expect to like them don't expect to go to them no don't do not please please genuinely do not expect to go to them (laughs) 